Good morning. It's Friday, the 16th of February, and this is Govind Rajethri Raj broadcasting from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day: One fifth of global fund managers are bullish on India, says a Bank of America survey. Japan and the United Kingdom slip into recession. Why markets cheered in Japan? Low demand pushes down Hindustan Levers stock to a 52-week low. Amazon says it surpassed $8 billion in cumulative exports from India in 2023. And understanding minimum support prices, why the bills for agriculture crop purchases may not be as high as they appear. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Bank of America survey says 20% global fund managers bullish. Well, before we come to the survey, the market seemed poised for a positive start going into trade this Friday morning. The global queues are steady with stock futures rising Thursday with the Dow Jones, Nasdaq and S&P 500 all looking up. Back home the stock market closed higher although off the day's high the BSE Sensex ended 228 points higher at 72050 and the NSE Nifty gained 71 points to close at 21911 Mahindra and Mahindra gained most amongst the large caps ending with a gain of nearly 7% after scaling a new high on strong third quarter results and its net profit had risen 61% year on year to 2454 crore rupees according to the business standard Elsewhere if you are trying to build an outlook for what the rest of the year or the next few months could look like here is a fresh input some 19% of global fund managers are bullish in india according to a latest bank of america asia fund manager survey or fms which saw 249 panelists with about 656 billion dollars worth of assets under management participating between 2nd and 8th of february the bank of america said and reported by the business standard Among markets investors prefer India and Taiwan net 19% overweight each apart from Japan while avoiding Thailand and China at the global level 61% of the respondents remain bullish and long on the group comprising Alphabet Amazon Apple Meta platforms Microsoft Nvidia and Tesla as you know now they are called as the magnificent 7 A majority of investors want to sit out and avoid the Chinese markets for now on the other hand they remain bullish on the road ahead for Japan with 29% of the respondents according to the Bank of America surveys expecting double digit returns from their equity markets in the next 12 months there's more news coming on Japan in a bit in energy oil fell for another day after the international energy agency in paris warned of slowing demand growth as we reported yesterday brent is now down to about 81 dollars a barrel and the market which is the oil market could be in surplus all year the international energy agency has said Elsewhere the nationwide crude stockpiles in the United States expanded by a greater than expected 12 million barrels last week spurring an increase in total oil inventories according to Bloomberg an investment strategist at Standard Chartered PLC told Bloomberg that markets were shocked by the quantum of this increase in crude inventories and they expected oil markets to remain largely balanced in 2024 like the IEA with prices likely to hold around current levels at this point India's exports rise. 
India's exports increased about 3% year-on-year to about $37 billion in January, according to data released by the government on Thursday. Imports rose by about 3% year-on-year to about $54 billion in January. So the trade deficit, the difference between the two in January 2024, stood at about $17 billion. The last nine months of this financial year to January have seen exports fall by about 5% to about $354 billion and imports fell by about 7% to $561 billion. Speaking of exports, e-commerce major Amazon announced on Wednesday that it had surpassed $8 billion in cumulative exports from India in 2023 and is on track to achieve its target of $20 billion in exports by 2025, which is by next year. The company had done about $5 billion of exports in 2022. Amazon says it began exporting from India seven years ago. Earlier, Walmart said it had crossed $30 billion in cumulative sourcing from India over the span of about two decades, and Walmart is now targeting $10 billion in annual sourcing by 2027, according to the business standard. Amazon's highest growing export categories include toys, home and kitchen products, beauty products, furniture, and luggage. Other products like leather goods and Ayurveda products are also gaining traction, the company said. And these products are headed from India, mostly to the United States and then other countries like the United Kingdom, Canada, Japan and Germany. Now, Amazon's high numbers do not mean that India's overall exports have gone up that much. Rather, it appears to be shifting from bulk exports to more smaller lots or along with sourcing of linked exports. I've tried to get a breakdown of this bulk exports by exporters versus individual sales or picked up by e-commerce companies like Amazon and transferred to warehouses internationally, but I've not got that as of now, but I'm sure I will in coming days. Japan and the United Kingdom have slipped into recession. Both Japan and the United Kingdom have slipped into recession in the last quarter or what is called a technical recession, usually defined as two straight quarters of negative growth. The Office for National Statistics said the UK's GDP or gross domestic product shrank by about 0.3% in the final three months of the year, adding up to the second consecutive quarterly decline. Meanwhile, Japan has lost its position as the world's third largest economy to Germany after it unexpectedly slipped into recession. Once the second largest economy in the world, Japan has also reported two consecutive quarters of negative growth, falling 0.4% on an annualized basis in the fourth quarter. In Japan, however, the markets greeted this news positively with the benchmark Nikkei 225 climbing and briefly surpassing the 38,000 mark in the morning session. The reason? Investors see the slowdown as a sign that the Bank of Japan could delay its exit from a long-standing negative interest rate policy. Consumer goods slowdown hits the HUL stock. Hindustan Unilever's shares hit a fresh 52-week low of about 2,362. Since January, the stock price of this fast-moving consumer goods company or FMCG major has slipped about 11% as demand has slowed and more so in rural India. Now, this fall is obviously more than what the benchmark indices have done. In the latest quarter, earnings and top-line reflecting volumes were up but very marginally and surely not to the market satisfaction. The slowdown is being attributed also to a lack of growth in rural markets, which of course depends on rural incomes, among other things, if they earn more from sources like agricultural income, but that itself is constrained, and more on that later in the show. Understanding the Minimum Support Price Conundrum 
Farmers are agitating against the government demanding a higher minimum support price for crops they grow. The minimum support price or MSP is paid by the government and acts as a hedge against lower prices if they go lower, which they don't always do. There are some 23 crops in all for which the government has announced MSPs, but like in most things in life, there is a 80-20 rule of sorts working here, which is that 16 crops account for about 90% of production, according to Crystal Market Intelligence. Further, the government actually procures mostly only paddy and wheat or rice and wheat, staples and cereals, that is. So this is over 60% of field crop production in India, and it comes from these two crops, which excludes, by the way, sugarcane. Now, the issue of MSP has several political dimensions to it as well. The core report is focusing on the economics of it as far as possible. To do that, I reached out to Pushan Sharma, Director of Research, Crystal Market Intelligence and Analytics, and I began by asking him in this somewhat longish and detailed conversation what MSP was, and I also asked him for some historical context. If you look at MSP, it stands for Minimum Support Price, right? And it started in the mid-1960s, where the context of Indian agriculture was quite different as compared to now. Right? India had become independent a few decades back. You know, we dealt with famines. And we were largely dependent on other nations for staples like paddy and wheat. Now today, India is not just self-sufficient in these crops. We are the largest exporter for rice in the world. We have meaningful exports for wheat and amongst the largest exporter for onion. Right? In the mid-1960s, in order to incentivize farmers to grow staples like paddy and wheat, which are quite labor-intensive, the government came up with MSPs. Right? Now, the only thing common between then and now in the context of Indian agriculture is that farmers were and still are economically the most vulnerable parts of our society which are producing staples. Right? So now, going away from the history and just looking at what really MSP is and how it is computed, so MSP is like the base at which the farmers need to trade, right? That's the minimum price at which farmers need to sell. Anything above that is acceptable. Now, how that is computed is by the Government Commission for Agriculture Cost and Prices, that is CACP, which does an assessment of cultivation of crops, right? 23 crops are covered as part of this. And what is assessed is the cost of inputs that are required to produce these crops. Now, that is referred to as A2. Then there is family labor that is also involved in production of these crops that is referred as FL. Together, these two terms are called A2 plus FL cost. There is another cost which is more exhaustive and it is a higher cost as compared to A2 plus FL which is called CETO cost. Now, CETO cost also includes the cost of assets like machinery and the imputed rent on the land on which cultivation is taking place. Now, in 2004, the then government had instituted a committee under Mr. M.S. Swaminathan which it would submitted about six reports to the government between 2004 and 2006. And one of the key recommendations on that committee was that the farmers should be fetching 50% above the C2 cost. Right? And this is what the current you know, farmers are requesting for. Now, the CACP not just looks at the cost of cultivation while coming up with MSP, they also look at the demand scenario for the crops. What is the stock position with the government agencies? macroeconomic environment which includes the consumer price indices because farmers eventually also you know spend on various staples for you know which they need to buy it also looks at the global supply and demand and basis this holistic assessment msp is decided for about 23 crops now if we are to look at what really is happening in india and how this entire thing is getting implemented while the msp covers 23 crops which includes 
cereals like paddy, wheat. It also includes pulses, oil seeds, coarse cereals, cash crops like cotton also are covered as part of this. Fruits and vegetables are outside the ambit of MSP. But it's very important to note that while MSP is announced for 23 crops, not all the crops are procured at MSP. Now at Crystal, we cover about 16 out of the 23 crops and that accounts for about 90% of the production. And if you see in the year 22-23, which covers Kharif season 22 and Rabi 23, only three crops out of the 23 actually saw meaningful procurement. 41% of the paddy that was produced that year was procured, 24% of wheat and 9% of mustard. Eight of the crops out of 16 traded above MSP. So actually they did not require any procurement. So the remaining five crops, that saw only less than 5% of the production getting procured that year. And lastly, while there are few crops that get procured, it's not that the MSP benefit is available throughout the country. There are only about six states that actually see meaningful procurement. That is Punjab, Haryana, Telangana, Madhya Pradesh, and Uttar Pradesh, as well as Chhattisgarh, that actually see the benefit of MSP. So that's the history and that's the current scenario. Just to go back to the point on the demand dynamics. So at any point, how are market forces playing in some of these crops? And how often is it that, let's say, the market price is higher and therefore the government does not have to step in? So it completely depends. You know, the mandi prices are typically determined by market forces as well as there is guidance from the MSP. So say, for example, in the case of Paddy, where 41% procurement happens at MSP, there the MSP is the guiding force when it comes to the open market prices because the government is the largest buyer. And that's also because, you know, that crop is, you know, rice is distributed on the public distribution scheme. Now, if you come to another crop like maize, right, there the government is not procuring meaningful amounts. There the poultry segment, which is large consumer of maize crop as poultry feed, that becomes a critical driver of demand. And interestingly, over the last couple of years, maize is finding demand for ethanol production too, because we're trying to reduce our crude oil imports. So those are the market forces that determine prices. Now, if we look at the year 22-23, we saw eight crops had traded above MSP, did not require procurement. If we see the last year, 23-24, we see again about eight, nine crops are trading above MSP. So the eight, nine crops include maize and what else? So if we look at the crops that have the year 22-23 that have traded above MSP, there have been crops like wheat, maize and jawar. They have traded above MSP. Also, tour and gran have also traded above MSP. And what determines the government's actions when it actually comes in to buy at MSP? You said that one is that they are operating only mostly in some states and not in others. And secondly, is it seasonal or is it to do with the government's own estimation of demand, including for, let's say, food grain distribution? So the government procures largely two crops, right? So that's paddy and wheat, and that's influenced by the public distribution system. Few of the other crops, the government tends to intervene, where they see that the prices are plummeting or, you know, the farmers require support. That's where they intervene and procure those crops. But it's largely, if you see, the bulk of the expenditure goes in paddy and wheat. So what is the issue here? I mean, is it that the MSP needs to be higher or is it that there needs to be more MSP? So I think how I understand, you know, the current situation is that the farmers are requesting for the MSP procurement to be a little more broad-based, not just for the two crops and a few states where it is getting procured. Like, for example, we see that Punjab, Haryana, most of the procurement happens at MSP. In Bihar, 
there's no procurement that happens at MSP, right? So farmers are requesting for all of the crops being procured at MSP. Also, this to happen across states. So I wouldn't say, and of course, another element is that they are requesting for the MSP to be set at 50% above the C2 cost, right? And that will actually lead to an inch up in the current MSP itself. If you were to look at the total cost at as it stood last year, so my from your computation, it's about 21,000 crore for last year, if I got that right, which is the difference between the minimum support price and the price at which it's being sold or could be sold at the Monday or the distribution center. What is the worst case and what's the best case situation on if assuming, let's say, all crops were covered across all states? So there are, you know, two ways to look at costs and uh, there's a lot of discussion happening where, you know, people are talking about about 10 lakh crores being spent on this. Now, what that looks at is the total cost or total capital required to procure. But the government is not the final consumer of the commodities, right? So it'll go into the open market to actually sell it, which is why we looked at what is the difference between the MSP and Monday price. And that for 16 crops, which covers 90% of the production for field crops, that comes to about 20 1,000 crores. If you look at, that's for 22, 23. If you look at for the last year, 23, 24, that'll be slightly lower than 20,000 crores because the commodity prices shot up in that time period. So depending on the year, depending on how the situation is, if the prices do not plummet significantly, the number should range around 20 to 30,000 crores. If the prices plummet significantly, and then that number could increase because the delta between MSP and Monday price will increase in that case. And uh, what's the behavioral changes that this can create? If, let's say, you have a guaranteed price across more crops across the country, would farmers change what they grow? And could that therefore have other domino effects? There are two schools of thought here. One is that it should be left to the open market forces, right? And the price should be determined. The other school of thought is that the farmers and as per government's data, in a family of five, the income is about 1.2 to 1.5 lakh rupees per annum that works out to just 2000 rupees per person per month right so the risk appetite of the farmer is absolutely low and rightly so which is why 60 percent of the production in our country for field crops comes from only two crops paddy and wheat and that's because these are the crops where there is a certain level of guarantee for procurement at msp because the farmer is risk averse to go for the other crops so in case in the interim if the msp is more broad based the farmers could go for choices other than paddy and wheat because there is a guarantee that the crops will be procured. Now, this may not be the final solution, but it could be an interim solution where the government can not just use MSP as a procurement tool, but as a tool of communication and guidance to the farmers. So, if the government wants farmers to go away from paddy and wheat and go towards pulses or go towards oil seeds where we are highly dependent on Malaysia, Indonesia, Brazil, Interestingly, also maize, like I said, you're right, because maize is now being used for ethanol production. And if we want to reduce our crude oil imports, the government can actually incentivize the maize MSP, the maize farmer, by giving higher increase in maize MSP and lower increase in some of the other crops where the government wants farmers to move away from, right? And by this mode of communication and guidance to farmers, the farmers can actually go diversify their crops. And this could be an interim solution and eventually it could be you know, made open to the market forces where a price determination happens based on the market forces. Right, Pushan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a lot, Guru.
that's it from me for today have a great weekend see you on monday with the core report that was the core report with me govindraj ethiraj do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories one in depth feature a day on www.thecore.in do also track us on linkedin where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant including of course india's vibrant manufacturing sector so write to us at feedback@thecore.in at and thank you once again for listening <laughs>